Welcome to Thinking It Through, your guide and tips to planning amazing Christian women's workshops. Let me begin by telling you a little bit about myself. My name is Terry Brooks and I have been a trainer for over 20 years and I still say that with a chuckle because not only do I not feel that old, <laughs> but um, I guess I am because that's how long I've been doing it, but also I'm still shocked that I was so fortunate to have my um, career navigate me to a place where I find so much fulfillment. I'm very passionate about adult learning and spend a lot of time in adult learning science and um, actually executing and facilitating workshops. In my career, I have facilitated hundreds of workshops. Once I was bored and did kind of a rough estimate based on uh, my career history and the number astounded me. But I will say in the context of this training, it's been hundreds and it's exciting because training is my lifeblood. It's my air. That's what my website actually says. Um, I love to be a trainer and I love to help people be better versions of themselves, whether it's professionally, personally or spiritually. Now, I will tell you, I am good at what I do. I have hundreds of evaluations, now mostly scanned, um, that confirm it. It's very rare that I get an evaluation that speaks to my inability to be a good trainer. So you're in good hands with your time with me. Also, I'd like to say that academically, I um, was trained at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, and I've earned my degrees there. Now, I am still a Missouri resident, and my husband pastors a church in Kansas City, Missouri. Now, it is what some people would call a mega church, but if you know our church, it's nothing like that. Although we have lots of people, it's a warm environment, and it's a lot of love of Jesus Christ there. I'm going to also tell you that I have led women's ministry and am working currently in my passion, which is bolstering and equipping ministers' wives. Alrighty, now you know a little bit about me, so we can get started. Before I get started, let me tell you about how this whole thing came to be and give you a little context in that area. GodSeeGirl.com is a blog that I created right after I married my husband. Um, again, as I mentioned, big church, lots of people. And so I wanted to work smarter. And so I created a blog so that I could build a rapport with the women there um, through social media and through blog. Now this is back before Facebook was really as much of a thing as it is now. Um, so I would write these devotionals so that the women could be introduced to me in a more intimate way. Um, because it was so many of them, I knew I could. it would take forever to meet people face to face and build that same rapport that I could deliver. Um, on a blog. So Godsy Girl was my inspirational Christian encouragement blog. Now it did serve its purpose. It was a great bridge for me to meet women at my church. But every now and again, I would write articles on Christian women ministry because I had served in some roles in my old church before I married my husband. And so I found in analyzing the data through the years that I will say 80% of my blog's traffic comes from people interested in the management of ministry, the planning of women's events, and that kind of thing. 
So out of all the articles that I have, the most popular ones are on those subjects. So it prompted me to somehow find the intersection between my professional life and my personal passion. And so that's what this training actually is. So I will tell you, it's my first one, so be nice, okay? Um, I'm gonna play, with, play around with software and do some things differently, but for now, the bells and, minimal, or bells and whistles are minimal. My goal is to give you some useful information in this module and see if there is interest for it. And if it is, I will build upon, invest in, and do more. Um, I do also blog at MarriedToAPastor.com and my professional site, um, aside from my consulting site, is ThinkBlinkLearn.com and that really focuses and centers around the most popular training module that I deliver in my um, consulting business. Um, I do have a consulting website, but it is really not something I promote nationally anymore because I can't travel the way I used to travel um, physically. Um, just can't go and hop to Chicago like I used to and do a training and hop back. So um, I really keep a um, healthy, robust client list um, because of referrals and local um, relationships that I already have. So I'm not gonna promote that one here because I would hate to tell you, no, I can't fly out. Um, just, you know, I can't do it anymore. And the older I get, the harder it gets. So anyway, with that, I'm going to go ahead and let you know what I plan for you in this little training session. By the end of it, I want you to be able to recognize the difference between a lecture and a workshop because a lot of times people will invite you to do a workshop for a women's conference or a special event and what they really want is a lecture. I have had it happen often. So you gotta know the questions to ask and you gotta have a good conceptual framework for yourself so that you'll know how to prepare for what you're going to do. I also want you to be able to construct smart workshop learning goals. I want your workshop to be intelligent and I want it to be effective. And I'm gonna show you how to do that. I'm also gonna tell you about some common learning methods that you can use to make those learning goals come to life, okay? Now, I have so much more I could tell you. In fact, I planned this um, as I wrote it. It was becoming very long. And by long, I mean longer than my YouTube and, and video um, interest might be. So I have a class that I'll tell you about a little bit more later um, that you can take if you wanna take a deeper dive into um, this instructional design piece. But for now, I'm gonna give you the basics so that when you end this video, you know what to do and you know how to do it. Sound good? All right, let's keep moving. Before I get started, let me tell you about how this whole thing came to be and give you the Your first question is going to be, what am I doing? No, I'm being silly. Actually, um, it's more about what do they expect you to do? There are going to be churches and organizations that are going to invite you to come and deliver a workshop only to find when you get there that what they expect is a lecture. So first question is to ask, what do they want? Okay, so you'll ask the person that invites you. However, let's talk about some characteristics of each so that you yourself are pretty clear on what you'll be doing. First of all, a lecture is 
kind of akin to a keynote. Have you ever gone to an event and you have a keynote speaker behind a podium? Maybe he or she is on a stage and um, they have a microphone and they deliver information pretty much one way out to you. During those, the only interaction involved is maybe some occasional giggling or laughter at a joke that they have um, delivered. But for the most part, minimal interaction. It's a lecture. It's them pushing information out without the expectation of intense response. These I often call blah, blah, blah scenarios. And I've done them. I've done keynotes. But I'll tell you, they're not my preferred style of delivery because they're one way. It's a one way of me pushing out information. And I prefer the alternative, which is a workshop setting. In a workshop, you are take on the form of a facilitator. And as a facilitator, you're partnering with the learners in the room to make and create and craft and cultivate a rich learning environment. So the lecturer on the stage is not so much interested in guiding, they're directing, they're pushing in a more aggressive way than you would as a workshop facilitator. As a facilitator, what you would do is you would present the information that you've worked hard to, re to research and to acquire, but you're guiding in a gentler way. You're directing in a gentler way and you're pulling them gently along with you in the learning process. So this means that you're learning with them as they share their fresh perspectives, their ideas, or even as they just kind of brainstorm how they'll use the information. I guess you figured it out. It's very collaborative. It's a partnership. So a lecturer, I like to think of that person as more of a sage on the stage. Their job is to be that all important expert who delivers information out, okay? The workshop facilitator, is the guide on the side. They're alongside, almost invisible in the learning process, not literally, but figuratively, as they allow it to unfold. They allow the adult learners to become involved, to share their experiences with the data, to share their testimonies maybe, to share scriptures that pop into their mind about the information you're delivering. And don't be alarmed when this happens. You're going to plan for it if it's a workshop, because when it happens, it's really a good thing. Okay. It's making the learning 360 in the room. I call it 360 degree learning. It's helping one another, helping them learn from one another. Good thing. And what I love about workshops is nine times out of 10, as skilled and knowledgeable as I am, I always learn something else because I learn from the participants. And adult learners must be able to leverage their knowledge in a learning environment. It's critical for adult learners because no matter how much you know or think you know, you have never experienced life through the eyes of those people sitting in front of you. So they have fresh perspectives and things that they can teach you as well. So you're invited to do a quote unquote workshop make sure you know what it is. And if you have a workshop indeed, plan for the 360 learning and expect it and let them know you welcome it. 
Now, as a facilitator, you're still going to have to manage the process, okay? Your job is directing that process. So there's people that you're going to have to make sure they don't talk too long. You may have to gently pull other people in who are a little bit introverted and not forthcoming. You'll have to learn to do those things with instincts that you'll develop, but it's a beautiful thing to have a workshop. Let's keep on talking along the same vein about workshops and what they look like. Okay, let's give you a little bit more information about the characteristics of both and um, how to know which is which. Now, when you're invited to do something, one of your key indicators is going to be the setting and the purpose that's communicated to you for the workshop. And I say that in quotes, but you can't see it. Um, I will tell you, some people don't know um, the difference between a lecture and a workshop. So, you know, if they start talking about an auditorium or the church sanctuary, um, nine times out of 10, um, they're talking about a lecture. But here's the thing. If you have a church sanctuary and you're the only one in it, um, sometimes you can still make that a workshop. And we're going to talk about some of those key areas of it. Um, sometimes you can still make it happen, but it might be harder. I have done workshops in um, sanctuaries and I have needed a microphone and requested a microphone so that the feedback and a runner, okay, a person that's going to run from person to person so that um, I could have that interaction and that 360 learning. Um, so that means that I'd have a person that would be there to um, have a mic, a live mic and go from group to group or person to person so that we could have that workshop type environment. However, that's not always possible or always the case. So when they, when they tell me sanctuary, nine times out of 10, I know that's going to be a lecture. And then also ask the purpose. What is it that they want you to do? What is that, that planner or organizer's dream or vision for your time with those ladies? Now, if it's very broad, right, it's more likely going to be a lecture type environment too. Okay. Um, that's not the only indicator, but those broad subjects sometimes are a blessing and a curse. So if it's something very specific, like how to have an active prayer life, that's a little broad, but also can be narrowed. Um, so that kind of thing, you can make a workshop with actionable activities. If it's prayer <laughs> in general, um, sometimes that might be an indicator of a lecture, but who knows? You really have to dig deep and find out what their expectations are, communicate with the organizer, see what their vision is, or if it's the first lady or the pastor's wife of that church, Find out what that person's vision is. Sometimes that may mean a call back to you. And I would prefer that than to come and deliver something that they didn't want. Okay. Setting and purpose, huge. Number of participants in your quote unquote workshop. So if you have more than 30 people, that's going to be an indicator that you have a lecture type environment. Honey, I have tried it in my professional setting. A corporation once invited me to do a temperament workshop called True Colors that I do. And it was team building was the goal, but it was 170 people. Yes, you heard me right. And they wanted me to do it in a workshop format. I was so green that I didn't know 
um, that I should have never tried to do that. I just figured, hey, I'm super Terry and I can make it happen. It was a nightmare. They had a blast. Evaluations were amazing. They actually invited me back. But from a facilitator standpoint, it was hard because a workshop is characteristic of small groups sometimes and interaction. That was very hard with that many people. So find out how many folks are going to be devoted to your workshop before you start planning. Workshops have a totally different feel. They are more intimate than a lecture. Okay, so again, knowing this, hopefully you'll see it now, um, it's going to impact how you plan tremendously. Interaction is my biggest indicator. When I ask them, how will people interact with me? What do you expect for them to do? What is your hope for them? And if they say, oh, they don't need to interact. I really just need them to get the information. Ha, huh, you know what that is? It's a lecture. So that interaction key, the setting uh, and the purpose and the number of participants, it's going to give you the indicator and the key you need to decide what you're going to prepare and how you're going to prepare it. Make sense? Okay, a little bit deeper. Characteristics of a workshop. I want you to know this. Less than 30 people. I often say um, anything over 30 people has to be a lecture, but it really just depends. But um, 30 people or less is ideal for me because you're going to want to break these folks into small groups so that they can really get their hands into the information and digest it and work together. This is where that struggling and challenging kind of comes into play um, when they're able to kind of take the information, dig deeper, and really think about it and talk to one another about it and then produce something as a result of it. Now, I am a big fan of chart paper still, good old fashioned chart paper. But sometimes um, I'm in venues where there are several smart boards around or I'll use post-its for activities or even just regular eight and a half by 11. And then you don't need the markers and all of that. Sometimes I'll do actually handouts um, and they just fill in spots and handouts. The bottom line is I want people with this specific learning style to be able to do something with the information. And then 360 learning guys, I want them to be able to report out what they've learned because then other people are going to learn from that group. And then the writing and the recording and the capturing is rich. It's hard to do that in a room full of 100 people, even if you have a smart board. Um, sometimes it's just difficult unless you have the projector and the smart pen and, you know, that whole lot of technology. But a lot of churches and ministries don't. So I prefer that smaller group so that I can write and capture some of the things that they say to reinforce learning for those visual learners. OK, so workshop. These things happen perfectly. High interaction, no talking heads in a workshop. Okay. If a workshop is done well, again, you're on the side being that guide. And so high interactions anticipated and welcome. So those are the characteristics. The next time someone asks you to do a workshop, you know the questions to ask and you have a conceptual framework from which to think about it right? All right, let's move on into planning the goals of your workshop. As you're thinking about your goals, I want you to first begin with what type of goal you have for the workshop. What types of ways are you wanting your information and your hard work to influence the participants? 
For example, is your goal a performance goal, meaning you want them to behave differently or do things differently as a result of the information you'll deliver? Or is it more of a knowledge goal? You want them to know the information or to think differently after they get it. A knowledge goal would be that you want people to know that God expects them to pray. <laughs> right? That's something they, they can leave with that awareness and you'll be like, I'm successful. If it's performance, you might say, perhaps, I want individuals to know not only that God wants them to pray, but also that the most effective prayers are rooted in Scripture. That's a performance goal, because if they know that the most important element of prayer is having it related to Scripture and founded on Scripture, that means when they pray, you want them to perform differently. You want them to pray prayers that are scripturally linked or scripturally, scripturally um, rooted. Does that make sense? For, you know, the whole, you know, this whole theology and the whole teaching, you know, we could pray for a Cadillac, but unless it's rooted into a promise, there's no guarantee. God works as his people um, believe and stand in his, on his word. So I'm not going left, which I almost did. Um, it's important to know what kind of outcome you want as a result of the workshop. I want them to either think differently or not only do I want them to think differently, I want them to behave differently. Performance goal, knowledge goal. In the end, it always narrows down to what they will learn. Um, what do you want them to learn? That's the first step. I even recommend one sentence, one simple sentence that clarifies and defines what you want people to learn. And from there, you can kind of determine, do I want this to be a knowledge goal or a way for them to perform and live their lives differently kind of goal? And then the key too is knowing the purpose. The purpose is not so much as much as what the inviting people told you to come, those people who invited you, what they told you to do, but it's that what's in it for me from the participant's perspective. At the end of the training or the workshop, what is it that they can say was the purpose for that workshop? And you always want that to be something that's easy for people, for them to quickly and easily be able to communicate why they were there in the first place. Does that make sense? I hope it does. You know, I invite you to ask questions and I'm happy to answer them. But I will tell you, it's not always easy as this is to say. There's sometimes it takes a few days to really write some good goals. And then if you have the knowledge already inside you, creating the experience is super easy. But it's that groundwork, that foundation, you know? All right, then I want you to think about SMART goals in the context of training. In the context of training, I want your goal for the training to be specific. Specific is the S in the word SMART. And that means that you need to have an expected outcome that can be defined by a simple who, what, and where kind of thing um, in terms of who will, who will do this. Um, it'll be women. These women are probably moms, probably not moms, probably wives. Some are not, but the commonality is that they're women. The what is, what is it that I want them to learn, right? Right. 
and the where is sometimes um, kind of optional because you may have you may be equipping people to be leaders in a church and um, you may be training them to be to, to, to learn basic leadership principles for when they're at church you know um, that that just depends I, I've done trainings for ministry leaders but I'd like to think that the information that I deliver they can use outside of the church structure but you never know so that who what and sometimes where is important and always focus on that specific knowledge that they'll that they'll acquire and then there's the M the M is measurable this one is so tricky because what we teach often in the Christian women's settings is conceptual um, things and so it can be tricky now if I am training a group of professionals on how to make the most out of PowerPoint or Outlook um, or what have you very measurable if they click the right buttons it happens this one will be a little tricky in the context of what you're doing because some of it may not become to maturation until a month later after they've practiced and gotten the information in their system but in as much as you're able make sure that the person is able to quantify or qualify the expected outcome so make sure that they're able to say, I learned two things about prayer, or I learned three ways to be a more sympathetic wife, or I've learned, do you get what I'm saying? And so this is the how part. How will the skill be demonstrated? How will you know it's demonstrated? And unfortunately, it always won't be demonstrated in your presence, okay? Attainable is the A in SMART in this, in this setting. Make sure that the goal is even possible. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, you know, you could say, have a workshop where it's three keys to spiritual maturation or being a strong, mature Christian. Um, it's hard to attain that within the context of the workshop. That's something that they're going to have to take with them, maybe in the form of a knowledge goal and um, experience outside in their real lives, right? But if there is a possibility, and we'll talk about some ideas for that, but if there's a possibility, um, it would be good if they can attain the goals within your workshop um, as much as, it, as it's possible. Sometimes I like to have strategic plans um, where they can begin a strategic planning process um, in my workshop so that they can actually do something with what I've given them. Um, and then that way there's something realistic that they can touch and take with them. And you know what? I've done trainings on building a strategic plan through the years. And by the end of the training, the participants have it. They have a plan for whatever their goal is. So um, as much as it's attainable, make sure you write goals that is somewhat possible during the workshop. Again, spiritual concepts are harder than some of the harder skills that we teach um, when we are um, in the business world. A little bit different. And then here's the relevant part. I mean, the, I already gave it away, right? Here's the R. <laughs> it's relevant. It's the why question. And this kind of links back to the what's in it for me. Is what you're going to teach relevant? We get enough fluff in the church community. I get enough goosebumps. I don't need to really get them all the time, but I do. But more often than not, I want you to teach me something that is relevant to my life that confirms that I can be better at something, some area of my life. So as a Christian, 
what is link back what your goals are to how is it relevant think about how is it going to make their lives better how is it going to make their days better how is it going to make their interactions and relationships stronger do you get it if it's just something ethereal up in the heavens um, high concept it's not as much of as much use but if you think about how you're going to make this their days and lives and relationships better you're going to be relevant so write your goals around that and then finally i like the idea of a time bound outcome a win and again this is so tricky because in the christian community or spiritual community a lot of it is so conceptual that at the end of that workshop it's not going to always be there but here's what i like to do when i structure christian women workshops i like to tell them give my principles or what we've talked about a month okay try this for a month and make sure they know exactly the steps and then have a way maybe they can reach out to you sometimes i use my facebook page but social media is starting to get on my nerves so not as much but um, maybe there's a way that they can email you um, post on your blog something to let you know that what you have given them did stand the test of time i hope this makes sense it's a lot of information and it's a lot of work but i tell you if you do this it's going to make creating the content make sense and it will be worthwhile for the people who are receiving it and the people who asked you to do the workshop will be so glad that they did let's keep going okay that was a lot wasn't it nothing you can't handle though now this part is one of my favorite parts of training it's the learning methods i love 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 the learning methods because that's what brings life and actually a heartbeat to my learning objectives. This is the how the learning objectives or the learning goals come to life. So I want you to think about, once you've written your objectives, think about how you're gonna make sure people learn those things or realize those objectives. So one could be um, discussion. Maybe you'll have targeted discussions where you ask key questions that are kind of rigged to reinforce learning. Are you going to use audiovisual? Are you going to use videos, music, um, PowerPoint, um, a Prezi? How are you going to show them what your learning objectives are meant to exemplify? What about simulation? Sim simulation. Simulation. What about that? Maybe you'll give them a chance to actually try out what you've um, taught. And I love this. Like if you're doing a workshop on mentoring or counseling, I love to have people role play or try it out in their small groups. I mean, I love that. You could even do what I call a teach back where if you have enough time. Now this takes this makes take a little bit longer. But if I have a training that's an hour, I can't do this. But a couple of hours, I may have a segment of the training where I break them into groups and they plan a report back to me that is actually a teach back where they take the principles that I've taught and they teach it back in their own format and they could use uh, music or poems or whatever um, but i have or sometimes <laughs> i've had an interpretive dance but assimilation a way for them to actually simulate and um, act out is always fun 
And then of course, there's the scripture reference. By this, I mean having people cipher and search through the Bible um, and dig and find key principles. All of this are, th these are good ways for you to reinforce the learning. Now, I like to be very strategic if you haven't figured it out, and I like to acquire or actually attribute um, percentages to my learning methods when I'm doing my planning. Let's, this is, let me show you what it looks like. I, like, I, I know you're thinking, wow, she really gets into this. And I do, because when people give you their most valuable asset, their time, you got to make good use of it. Goosebumps, again, making people laugh, that's not enough. All right, so check this out. I like to think of whatever learning methods I'm going to use and I'll ascribe percentages. For example, maybe for a workshop, I'll use 10% scripture reference. So that's not very much, but that means that I'll maybe have them cipher through or dig through a um, scripture and or read one out loud. It's very simple the way I do that. And then I always have some form of simulation um, where they get to try out whatever it is I'm teaching. Um, it could be a million ways you could do that, but I always have that be a little bit part. Now look at my major piece, audio visual. Now I always have a PowerPoint or a Prezi, always, because I have so many visual learners. Um, the world has so many visual learners, it always works. So I always give that a great big portion of my planning as well as discussion. I think with adult learners, discussion is one of the best tools to help people learn. And again, it's not about being the sage on the stage. You're the guide on the side. So you're guiding that learning. So these are the learning methods that I like to use often, but there are so many more. And you can Google um, learning tools, didactics, learning methods, and find other ways. Okay, as I promised, I'm not gonna go very deep into these concepts because it's a video. I want you to be able to get what you need and be able to move on. But again, if you wanna go deeper, you know what to do, take the course. All right, key considerations. As you're planning your workshop, I think, or even before you plan it, it's not a bad idea to have a outline. And I don't mean an outline from which you'll speak, but I mean more so an outline to help you organize some of the things that you have um, determined and that are rolling around in your head, like the order of activities, which ones you'll do, those kinds of things. I also have a sample that's part of my course that will be a great starting point. It's similar to the one to the right, but not exactly. You'll also get a um, template to the one like the one that you see um, here, but 